0: Welcome to the Sky Society podcast, the place where dream careers come true. I'm your host, founder, and CEO of Sky Society, Natalie Peters. Prepare for smiles, tears, surprises, and epic takeaways. This podcast is for the ambitious woman who wants it all and wants it real. We're diving deep with relatable and dreamy guests who are showing you what actually matters when it comes to starting and accelerating your career so you can make your dream job your real job. Let's make it happen. Welcome back to another episode of the Sky Society Podcast. Today I am so excited to be chatting with Chelsea Van De Camp. She does brand marketing, specifically menu innovation at Chipotle. Welcome, Chelsea. Hi, how's it going? I'm doing great very excited to be chatting with you today and to go into your story so we're going to go into Chelsea's entire career journey from when she's working at Decker working on Ug Australia to Bear and then now over to Chipotle and we'll kind of end on your title which is super super unique doing food and beverage innovation at Chipotle actually just had Chipotle today actually right before I had my leftovers for breakfast oh That's a
1: bit sad about it right you just eat food it, it lasts you for Forever.
0: <laughs> yes, it was so funny when I moved to Austin. I, my family, the Chipotle was a really Chipotle really close to me in my hometown, Huntington Beach, and we'd go there all the time. When I moved to Austin, Chipotle was like my little safe space that I would always go back to. Of like, this kind of yeah. feels like home because this is what I always had when I was home. I,
1: I think everyone kind of has that college connection to it as well, where you're like, "Oh, Jagger, go!" Lay. When you're sorry, Jagger, go lay down. <laughs> Sorry. John definitely oh wants his five minutes of fame. <laughs> Every time, I swear. It's like the pandemic didn't get it out of him. He's just constantly in front of the camera. He loves it. No, there's that that nostalgia that people have with Chipotle, especially with their, you know, at college you try and like get a big meal, have it last you a couple of days. I know that's it was my hangover cure as well. So it's very near and dear to my heart. So it's crazy that now I'm, you know, working on the menu there.
0: Yes, absolutely. Super excited to jump in and talk about everything you do there. Mm-hmm. But before we jump into all of that, we're going to go, we're going to take you back, <laughs> roll, roll back the, the clog to Decker. So you were there out of pretty much your first like big role out of college. Mm-hmm. And you started there as a marketing admin assistant. And throughout your time there, you were specifically working on. It. So tell me a little bit about what that experience was like for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's a really great example of just jumping in and taking opportunities like by the horn. So I'm originally from New Zealand and I moved out here fresh out of college. I got on the next plane after graduation. And,
0: Why? Why uh, did you want to move out here?
1: I, you know, it's crazy. I, ever since I was young, I kind of just knew it was just like a non-negotiable. I knew I was going to live in the States. I didn't know how, I didn't know you know, I didn't even know everything in New Zealand about America makes it seem like it's just a movie. So I wasn't even quite sure if it was real or not, but it just happened. And I got this opportunity to move to the States. And at first I was working in a bar in Santa Monica and, you know, I had studied marketing and I was really passionate about being creative and, you know, working in that business environment. And so I bootstrapped basically my career from the beginning. I walked down Wilshire Boulevard with resumes printed out. I don't no. think they were even that great. I had no experience. I was like basically door knocking for jobs at all of the agencies and brands that I could find that were based in LA. And at the same time, I was applying for places like outside of LA too. Like I was that driven to get a job at a notable brand and I was super interested in fashion as well. So I got a call back from UGG and I was shocked. I was floored. Like this was the opportunity i have been waiting for. And I think I went into it with the mentality of, I'll take anything, I will I will clean your storage, I will be your, you know, shoe sample slinger, whatever you need, I will do it. And so for a couple of weeks, like after I got the, the role, I, I mean, I, I met with my boss, Nancy, who was amazing. And she basically decided on the spot, like this personality is gonna fit great with this company. I showed that I was really, passionate about it, I would do anything, I will start at the bottom, I'll work my way up. And I think that attitude went a long way with getting an entry level role.
0: So if you kind of
1: have that, oh, sorry, go ahead.
0: I just want to stop and just real quickly, because what you said there is so important. There are, I have so many girls always ask me like, Natalie, I I, I need to get my first job, it's so hard. Like, how do I stand out? And I feel like your example there of like, I walked down the street with paper resumes, in the interview, you didn't have experience, but you're like, I'm going to work so hard. Like I will do whatever it takes that attitude. And I, and I hear from employers all the time is they want someone that's willing to learn and willing to put in the effort. And so I just wanted to highlight that because that's such a great way to stand out and you had no experience. You're just like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. So I love that.
1: Absolutely. And yeah. And it was that personality and like willingness that I think, you know, I was prepared to have a lot of people being like, what the hell are you doing? But I was also like, there are a lot of people who were like, oh my gosh, like no one's done it old school like this in a long time. I think a lot of people send emails and just hope for the best. Yeah, um, I was like bringing coffee to people. I, I would do whatever it took. So I think if you can get in that mindset and you find what you're really passionate about, it doesn't matter what you do. You, you're, gonna, you're gonna do it and you're gonna make sure it happens.
0: Did you know you wanted to go into marketing or were you just applying to any job ever and then this job happened to be like a marketing admin role?
1: I was really focused on marketing and advertising. That was my, you know, focus in college. And I think when I looked at what I was really good at and really liked, it was creative, but it was also trying to make money out of creative. So that like naturally pointed me towards marketing. Um, so I felt like it was a good fit and then I think when you find something that you think you're gonna be passionate about, you you find a way to make it work for your career and and then you try and really focus and hone in on getting that pathway going.
0: Yeah, and I mean starting at UG is a huge accomplishment like that's you know that's an incredible place to start and you were there for a long time. you were there for five years. So you started off at this admin assistant Mm -hmm. role where I'm assuming you were doing very, very basic tasks and then moved up to marketing coordinator and associate. So what Mm -hmm. did your growth trajectory look like at Decker and at UGG and how were you able to move up?
1: Yeah. So when I got into the role, I... Like I said, I started at the very, very bottom. I was getting Diet Cokes for the CEO. I was getting coffee orders. I was slanging boxes. I I got really big guns from just like lifting heavy boxes of shoes constantly.
0: <laughs> like, I don't need to go to the gym.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like my job. It wasn't glamorous at all. It, it isn't. The fashion industry is not as glamorous as I think people. a lot of people expect it to be. I was waking up really early, coordinating samples, doing a lot of shipping, admin stuff. It was it was a lot, but it was the basics you need to learn just to feel grateful about the people who start at the bottom. It's almost like you pay your dues. And then looking back now, when I work with coordinators or assistants, I have so much empathy and understanding about what they go through. It actually makes it, it makes it, Better for your career in the long run, I think.
0: Yeah, I'm starting at that lower and at that lower position. And I've heard that too from guests, or even just saying that assistant roles have gone, I don't know if the word is easier, but different as like time has gone by. I know I've talked to people that were like assistants at editorial companies, like way back when, when like you yeah. were literally doing like Devil Wars Prada. In terms yeah. of you know, your assistant work, but everyone that has had that role will always tell you that the hard work absolutely pays off and gives you a different perspective. So, like you now, when you are in a management and higher level role and you look at the people that are below you, you can respect the work that they're doing and actually empathize and feel with them and then you know be a better leader and manager because you've done the same work that they have.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah, you're so right. And I think you know one of the things that i've started to reflect on now in my career is even the most frustrating times the hardest times the times where you're like i have a degree and i'm going to get a diet coke for someone like this is <laughs> crazy honestly all of those experiences add to the sum of your career in the, at the end so now that i look back i wouldn't change any of it it's taught me so much even the little things, you know, just being grateful and and the gratitude and knowing that you've been through it, the learning opportunities where at the time you might not have really noticed that you were wrong, or you didn't feel like you were wrong. But now looking back, like, you know, your, your mindset back then, and that you didn't really know the full story or the picture, or know how to handle a situation in a specific way. So... I, I always tell, you know, my teams and people, you know, underneath me now that like it is there's always a silver lining and it always adds up to something better for you in the long run.
0: Yeah. You just may not see it then. And and that's one of the things I love about when I interview, you know, guests like yourself is that you like you can tell us that your story now and you can look back and be like, Yes, of course the piece is all connected. But when you're <laughs> in it, you have no idea like where it's gonna go. And yeah. just- fear that comes around that is like, is this going to work out? But what you said, is completely right. Like it, it always does. And you then look back on it. And you're like, okay, I understand like why I needed that experience to then end up here. But it doesn't always make sense when you're going through it. Totally. So you were at Decker for like I said, five years, what is the biggest thing? So you grew there as a marketer, your position, oh. you know, kept growing in marketing, what was the biggest thing you learned as a marketer in this role? Or how did your skills grow?
1: Yeah, it was a lot of communication skills and a lot of interpersonal skills as well. I think, you know, specifically for the fashion industry, there's a lot of personalities. There's a lot of female energy, as you can imagine. And being able to build tough skin and know that it's not personal, even when it really does feel personal, was a huge leg up for me. And now I feel like, there's nothing that anyone can say that can really penetrate me to the core anymore because I've heard it all. I've heard it all. But again, that is a blessing in itself. And, you know, it taught me a lot about, you know, I, I think looking back, I've had a, a very, like a lot of different leaders in at UG, and some good, some horrific. <laughs> and I think you learn from both. I learned, a lot about how I wanna be treated and how I wanna treat other people, both from really inspirational leaders who helped people grow and really used or, or treated their teams as people that they want to shine and do their best work. And then I also learned from people who were the opposite of that. So I think being, being able to sit back, listen, really observe different leadership styles no matter what kind of style it is, you know, take the notes, take the mental notes and really grow from that and apply it to how you want to be a leader.
0: Yeah. That's great advice for someone. If you're not a leader yet and you have a terrible manager, or if you have a really good manager Mm -hmm. taking notes and figuring out, yeah, what, how you want to lead and, and, and what you like from a boss, what you don't like from a boss. So then when you keep moving forward and up in your career, you have more awareness instead of just being like, oh yeah, I love my boss or I hate my boss, but actually going deeper into the why behind that.
1: Totally. Yeah. You're so right.
0: I love that. All right. So you then moved over to Compass as a marketing manager. So can you tell me about your transition there?
1: Yeah. So I went from UGG, which is like a billion dollar company. Everyone knows UGG to basically this startup environment with Compass. So they were relatively new. They were more, they're in real estate. So a completely different industry. I had no idea about. And I had to get scrappy all of a sudden, you know, and, and I kind of do have like a naturally scrappy, like personality, but this was like, limited budgets, like I have to do everything from, like local advertising to brand advertising. I had so much freedom with that, though, as well, like, my boss there was amazing. And he was a realtor. But he didn't. He kind of knew that he didn't know much about marketing, so he gave me free range to do whatever I wanted. So, as scary as that was, because you're like, I'm working for this big company and I can do whatever I want. I don't feel qualified for this. It was really freeing because it allowed me to fail fast, which is the most valuable opportunity you can be given, and and then apply those learnings to just continue to grow in your marketing skill set. So. It was a it was a crazy transition, but again, added to my arsenal as a marketer in the long run.
0: Can you talk to me about that? Failing fast, what does it mean to fail fast, and why is that a good thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in to, even today, I I think it's the most valuable thing you can learn to do. It's it's having the the confidence to try something new that maybe is out of feeling a little risky out of the norm, trying to put, you know, the bare minimum resources behind it. So you're not like failing at like a huge detriment, but being able to use that hands-on learning experience to understand or deepen your understanding in marketing. So what I do today is like, I look at opportunities that maybe haven't been touched on yet. And I'm like, okay, And one example is right now at Chipotle, you know, we do a lot with athletes um, and we have a dedicated team for that. And someone reached out to me from the UFC and we had never touched on the UFC before. And I kind of challenged myself, like, why? Why have we not done that? And there's the obvious, you know, answer because it's like quite violent. (laughs) But these athletes are the, you know, most conditioned athletes. They only eat clean. They're the cleanest in terms of like, you know, like restrictions on what they're allowed to do in their field. And I was like, why not? Like, let's try it. So I'm figuring out like a way that we can have like some very small investment to test the waters with some maybe some social connection with some UFC fighters and just see what the response is. And it might not end up aligning with the brand. I don't know, but it will be a quick test to see, like, is this a, is this going to be a winner or is this going to just be like dead in the water? So yeah. finding those opportunities are so key because you won't be able to know unless you try.
0: Yeah, I love that. I feel like that's a mentality to you get when you do work at a company where you have more freedom to do mm-hmm. things. I know at larger companies, there's a lot of more hoops you have to jump through before yes. you can try and experiment with something. But I I love the idea of failing fast. I love the idea of you don't really know until you try something. I think it's true for so many things in life. I say it as, I give it as advice when you're trying to figure out what you want to do in life, like go mm-hmm. try a bunch of things. Cause you're not going to know by just like watching, you know, videos about what other people do. Like you have to go try those things for yourself. And I think it's the same when it comes to your job or when learning anything in marketing, you know, even for Sky Society, we're just there we like nothing is ever set like we never do anything where we're like we're not changing this everything is always open to being changed because if we you know you do a post and it flops like it flops like now we yeah. learn but, you yeah. know and and then there's no other like no better way to learn than like what you said than by trying and failing and being okay with success.
1: yeah absolutely and i think a big thing for me is i think my managers or leaders have seen that even just approaching a new idea like that and saying hey i'm not sure about this here's what i'm thinking the opportunity could be can i do xyz which will have little to no impact on in the long run just to test it honestly bringing that kind of thinking to the table i more times than not they are so impressed that you're using your initiative and bringing fresh ideas. So sometimes it's a no, and I, you know that's because of dedication of resources and what's priority, but a lot of the times just even showing that you're thinking outside the box is so valuable in the perception of your leadership with what you're uh, providing to the brand.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then I think what also comes is having confidence. I think you mentioned this earlier of not being you know, hurt by hearing no or being, you know, sharing an idea and getting shot down, not taking that personally. I think that that skill is also something that you build by doing that. Cause yeah, maybe sometimes I'll say no, or maybe sometimes you'll do the experiment and it fails, but being okay, like having an attitude of okay, I'm gonna try again and try again. And just because I failed once doesn't mean that I'm a failure. Exactly. So we're then, we're getting close to Chipotle. So we then you go over to Bear, the Bear Paint Company. We all know Bear. You were there for three years and you were doing uh, brands and campaigns there. So can you tell us about your time at Bear?
1: Yeah, so Bear was another huge sidestep into a completely different industry. I was moving to Orange County from Santa Barbara where Deckers is based. And, you know, the brand itself was so highly recognizable. I'm not going to say I was super interested in paint because I don't think anyone can say that they're like lovers of like industrial and commercial paint. But what it did provide was a huge blank canvas. And what I mean by that is when I met my boss there, Kara, still today, one of the best, most inspiring bosses I've had, she really gave me the opportunity. Even in my interview, she was like, look, this is paint. It's like watching paint dry, obviously. But we can make this cool and we have license to do so. And I, it really opened my eyes to the opportunity. And so working with her was so amazing and she was the kind of boss that maybe I didn't see it at the time, but she threw me in the deep end and I was at an age where I thought I was so smart, and I thought I knew it all, and I definitely did not, (laughs) and she forced me to grow, and she really challenged me on a lot of things, and she set really high expectations for me, but she also nurtured me through that process, and there were times that I cried for sure. There were times that I was so frustrated, but now looking back, she made me a really, really effective marketer.
0: You touched on something that I feel like I have also encountered in my past where you maybe it comes from being naive or just younger, but you feel you not know everything, but you're kind of, I, I, I want to say this in a way where it's good to have confidence in yourself, yes. but there also, sometimes we may think that we know more than we do. And we maybe lose respect for people that are senior or have more experience, right? It's kind of that balance of like, yes, be confident in yourself, but also, yeah. you know, Don't be so naive that you think you know everything. How did you find yourself in that position? How can someone maybe identify if they're in a similar space like that?
1: Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because yeah, you're right. You don't want to lose that confidence. But at the same time, I think there's an approach that as I reflect, I wish I had taken just to observe first and really see where I fit in and where I need to maybe sit back and learn before I start to suggest. And I've actually seen that more recently in my career as well. And you know, it's a, it's a problem not only for juniors, to be honest, I've seen executives do the same thing where they come in super hot, they think they have all the answers, they don't have any of the context or history before they jump in and, and start to give advice or give direction. And ultimately, it's, again, a personality communication thing. People really resist to that. So one thing, one tip that I learned was, and it kind of goes with not being afraid to ask questions. I think with that confidence in yourself or that thinking that you know everything, you don't want to ask questions. You want to maintain that kind of level of um, expertise, I guess. But one thing I learned that was a really great trick was I gave myself permission to ask questions by saying, hey, this might be a silly question or, hey, this might be, you know, not the best idea, but have you thought about this? And it kind of took the pressure off me because it allowed people to say, yeah, here's the answer. Like, that was a silly question, but I already knew it. You know, I've already established that maybe it wasn't the best question to ask. So it's not like you're being broken down to size. So I use that technique a lot and it, it allowed people to almost want to help as well because you're not coming with this arrogance. It's like, you kind of know that you don't know, you're addressing it and they're more than happy to give you the answer.
0: This reminds me of a sales strategy or a negotiation strategy from the book, Never Split the Difference where you want to give someone, before you ask someone for something, you want to give them, you want to give them the opportunity to say no to something, yeah. like just so that way they feel like they're, you know, they're, they've kind of let their guard on because they say no. So by yeah. you being like, this is, is this a stupid question? And I'm like, no, like, no. And then they get to like, you know, go and say yes. And so it's so funny. I was actually just thinking about that the other day of, of using that negotiation strategy of, yeah, letting someone say no first before you ask them to say yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it it made me have a lot less anxiety, especially around like, you know, the executive level, because I think they, you, you think they expect you to know everything. And when you can act in that way, that is a little bit more approachable. I think, I think they kind of, it's less pressure. It's less pressure. You feel more comfortable. So I use that a lot.
0: Yeah, and one thing I also say about asking questions because I think you're right that that is the piece where you cross from confidence to arrogance when you stop asking questions. Yeah. And one thing that I I forget where you know where I, I learned learned this. I think most most of us know this by now, but when you are someone that doesn't show weakness or fault, you become less relatable and just likable overall if you just like fail to show that you are a human right like oh i'm too i don't need to ask questions or i'm not going to admit my mistakes you're right i'm untouchable but showing but asking questions even if you're a boss and you have to ask like someone lower lower than you for help or something that you know allows you you look more vulnerable it allows you to open up to them and them to feel more connected to you and asking questions is never a sign of weakness it only makes you more strong
1: a hundred percent and actually with my leadership today I noticed that they do a really good job of asking opinions. So it it not only goes from like from junior upwards, having that ability to ask opinions and ask questions from a higher level makes the other person feel like they're empowered and that their thought process is valid and that they're actually a valuable brain in the room, you know? So I think questions are really, really important and really, really valuable from whatever angle you're coming at.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. I, that was one of the, I think my, my dad actually taught me that when I was younger, it was like the first thing you, with all of us kids, he's like, he he would always say, ask your way to success. The only way you're going to get some things if you ask for it. Like when it just seems go for like, when you're at a role, never be afraid to ask questions. You're never, you know, people aren't going to think that you're dumb. No, they're going to think
1: that you're smart.
0: Yes. (laughs) The smartest people ask the smartest questions. I also, I think I may have talked about this before, but I remember hearing about this mock interview question. I forget, it was like a big company, would, or not mock interview, it was a group interview and a big company would ask this question. And it was something along the lines of like, there's a natural disaster, What do you, how are you gonna respond? And how a lot of the applicants, you know, they think they're so smart, so they just start going into exactly how they would respond. But one candidate was like, what's a natural disaster? Is it local or national? Is it okay. like, you know, asking all of these questions before she then, and like gave her, her, she's the one who got the job. And I always remember that. And I always encourage you to like ask questions like, yeah, I feel, I feel like we made our point here. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, I, I love it. Ask great a success. And you went over to Chipotle was your next move. And you've been there for f- almost five years, which is absolutely mm-hmm. insane. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. And your role now is in brand marketing, specifically working on food and beverage innovation, which sounds so much fun. So tell me about your transition over to Chipotle and a little bit about what your role looks like
1: yeah absolutely so Chipotle when they moved from um, Denver to Newport Beach they basically started from scratch with their you know teams, especially the marketing team. So when they came over, it's funny I I was approached by a recruiter and I went in for an interview with my boss Michael who's incredible and I showed up and it was like, a billion dollar startup. It was there were no tables. We would fight over chairs <laughs> and still oh, have telephones. But we were on the 14th floor and we started calling it like the Fire Festival 14 because it was just like a a billion dollar startup like and but it was awesome it was that scrappy feeling again but with the resources so we i mean i got the job there i was one of the first hires under michael who was the director of brand and it it was really just me him and my counterpart matt at the time and we were given no direction. It was just complete ambiguity. We were just told to re- rebuild the brand. And so we kind of looked at each other and we're like, okay, we, let's start with product innovation. Like we need new news. And so that's kind of where we landed. And it wasn't traditional brand work. It wasn't marketing work. It was getting in the trenches, working with supply chain, with finance, figuring it out, and it's terrifying but also so rewarding at the same time
0: that sounds very very fun and scary all at the same time because obviously Chipotle is a huge company but I feel like one of the things that still kind of reigns true I feel like I feel that within their marketing too is kind of that scrappiness or you know never that you never feel like Chipotle is a giant like big corporation you know they feel very relatable and you're so specific with this so food and beverage innovation like you mentioned it's not really traditional brand marketing it's a little bit different you're working with all different cross-functionally across chipotle i'm curious what is the very first thing you worked on or f- food innovation and or what was like the, the first thing that you kind of brought to chipotle
1: yeah so there were two things i can't remember which one came first actually but I, there were two things we wanted to address. We wanted to, our, our queso at the time wasn't hitting the spot. It, it, we were getting weird feedback from consumers, and so my first job was to reinvent our queso. And so it's what you see today It's the queso blanco. What it was used, it before? I don't even remember. It, it was like a more traditional yellow cheese queso, okay. um, and it just wasn't. It wasn't great. So now it's Queso Blanco has just replaced it. It is by far my favorite, favorite thing at Chipotle. I can't get enough of it, which is bad. But that that whole process, I mean, going through multiple rounds of t- tasting different cheeses. I mean, it was disgusting, but it was amazing at the same time. I think I gained like 15 pounds. But not um, like, I don't
0: regret it because I'm no. eating
1: lunches. Yeah, I was like, it's for work. It doesn't count, calories don't count. So that was a huge lift, and that was an amazing project. And then the, the other one at the same
0: time but, but, was- Sorry, but I'm going to interrupt you, because before you go into the other one, I want to yeah. get back to, I want to get back to Queso before we move on. Curious. So you mentioned taste testing, which is, I think, more traditional, like, product. But what was maybe more of the brand side or creative side that went into this new product? Because, I mean, it wasn't that- just- we changed the flavor and everyone loves it, right? There was, I'm assuming, a lot more behind it. I'm assuming color played a huge role into that as well. So, I would love if you could just maybe touch on some of, yeah, that more creative side of, you know, relaunching this, being at Chipotle, which is now very, very popular because that yeah.
1: was cool. no, absolutely, you're right, and and it really came down to the consumer. And so, as we were of analyzing the menu we noticed that there was a huge opportunity there so we talked to consumers we asked them like what what is this dis- satisfaction with our queso well what and what is your gold standard like what do you think is the best queso out there and we really like dug in deep with our like loyal consumers and going through that process it was important to keep them top of mind throughout the whole, you know, development period. And then, you know, coming out the other side, you know, going, going and exploring and really making sure that like working with the culinary team, you have to obviously provide a brief and and get more specific about what you're asking for and where they want to develop. We had a really wide open, you know, range of what we're looking for. And I think thinking back, we could have tightened that a little bit, but being able to define the freedom to go outside, like the traditional yellow queso was a huge risk because it takes longer if you're going to open up the floodgates like that. So it just so happened, like, and I think it was a little bit of luck that they developed queso blanco and we tried it and we actually, it sparks more of an idea of like, okay, if we're completely gonna replace this thing, let's let's really replace it. Like, let's not just improve it, let's give them something completely different and say, look, we really did this. Like we have found queso blanco is gonna be better than like queso. And so it actually started to form the marketing direction for this as well. So as we started to head down that path, You know, we were building communications around that. We were thinking about campaign and, like, how can we really blow up this impactful moment of going from yellow to white? You know, because I think that's going to be a huge, distinctive, you know, noticeable change to Chipotle. And it did feed into the new direction that Chipotle was going in. We wanted to start fresh. We wanted to, like... Re-rebirth this brand and show a distinct difference. So it really—I don't know if it was more luck or just strategy—but it all kind of started falling together, and we started to find the direction for this campaign and this new product launch. But it really started with that open mind exploration.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I—I don't remember queso before white queso, and maybe because I was younger, but. Also probably just because it was never something that, yeah, that I would ever get at Chipotle. But then now, then when it came out new, even now that I only, came, when it's a free like day, <laughs> I get queso on my bowl. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a hardcore guac girl, so I'm always getting guacs. Yeah. Double K, but some days I'll get queso and guac. But I do think that the white color played a really big impact on it because I know Chipotle too is, you know, with the lifestyle bowls and other, other, maybe that's maybe part of your innovation too, mm-hmm. but it is a healthier, you know, when I eat fully, I feel like I'm being healthier and having white queso versus yellow queso also makes me feel like I'm eating healthier. So I think the color there was just, was huge.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. Cause I think there's a lot of baggage tied to traditional queso. Yes. So when you flip it on its head like that, it do, it does seem more approachable. And when you pair it with Chipotle's like for real positioning and clean ingredients and you know simplified recipes, it it kind of lowered the barrier to entry for a queso. So that's why we're seeing so much success with it as well. So yeah, you're spot on there.
0: And then you were—I interrupted you. You were going to go talk about another innovation that. You oh also- yeah,
1: quesadilla. Like we we had never had a new like entree format since the beginning of chipotle like we we started to get into the bowl when people were you know trying to shy away from tortillas but that was so early on and we just needed newness so the natural next thing is like a entree size quesadilla but we again wanted to do something different something noticeable because we do have you know we had the traditional like secret menu quesadilla but this was meant to be like another you know abundant chipotle entree so That was, that was a trip too. And, and then, you know, going, I think this was a really valuable point as well. All of these projects crossed over from marketing and had me really in the trenches with other functions. So if anyone ever gets the opportunity to try a different function for a little bit, or at least peer over the curtain at another function, it is so valuable. Because knowing more about ops, knowing more about finance specifically, makes you such a better marketer because you can understand the context of things like how you can make this more profitable, how you can make this more operationally viable. Getting that cross-functional insight is the most valuable thing I've ever had throughout these projects.
0: I love that you mentioned that as well because I when we when we are in marketing you it's easy to get tunnel vision or just see, see what you're doing and just want to advocate for you know we need more budget here or we need this and that but it is so valuable to, yeah, to be able to go in and understand how finance thinks about thinks mm-hmm. about things and how sales thinks about things and product or whatever, all those different departments. Um, I think that it, you're absolutely right. And then also, I'm assuming it will likely help you when you're moving up in your career, because mm-hmm. then you get to understand, you're moving up to a manager, or a senior or a director role, because you understand how all of those functions work together. So this seems like a very, very fun space to be in, especially with like, you know, hearing, hearing these stories from you. I'm curious, you mentioned the quesadilla, was that launching the quesadilla to Chipotle? Cause I know Chipotle also just did like a new campaign where they kind of like redid the quesadilla.
1: Yeah, so that was launching the quesadilla as like, this is a new entree option. More recently, we actually opened up quesadilla to have fajita veggies. So before it was just protein and cheese. So now it was like a fajita quesadilla it was now an option and i personally didn't work on that piece of it with the new launch but that has been such a successful moment for us really leaning into social leaning into consumer insight and just making it work again being a little scrappy figuring it out seeing the opportunity and just being like let's throw everything against us and just go for it like what's the worst that could happen and i give props to my uh team irene she led that she killed it and the social team with their tie in with the keith the Dia, i mean it, it just was a perfect campaign in, in and of itself so yeah yeah it was she cool to play. see
0: on, on social media and yeah. i saw some influencers that I, I were familiar with be a part of that campaign so that was really cool yeah. really yeah that was really cool to see it's interesting that hearing about all this because when someone thinks of chipotle they don't think of i feel like you don't think of product innov- food innovation right because it's like chipotle serves like rice yeah. beans and like meat like but it's super interesting to hear how intricate it is in that the mm-hmm. way that chipotle is able to serve such few things because the few things that you do serve you do really really well and then also having the various ways to combine them together where yeah you can get a bowl a burrito a lifestyle bowl you know, salad and, taco, a quesadilla, you have all your different things. I'm curious, what makes you decide? So those are two things that you talked about, but how do you identify like, okay, this is the next thing that we're working on, or this is where we, this, this product, or this, I don't know, I'm calling it product, but no, you're right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What kind of what,
0: yeah. What is the indicator there that that's the next thing you need to work on?
1: Yeah. I mean, I do a lot of research and I partner really closely with our research team, consumer insights team. They're a hilarious bunch, I, I have to add, but they're so smart and we really dig in with them to find opportunities. And Allie, our consumer insights person, she she really keeps a pulse on trends and social listening and seeing what's out there and, and looking at you know, what white space is out there? What are we seeing shift in the industry? She is like the the person on the pulse, right? So another thing that I realized is like, I'm not going to have all of these strengths, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be a great marketer and a great project manager, whatever, and like a finance guru. So I the people who have the strengths where my weaknesses, they are my BFs. Like I connect with them on a regular basis. I use their brain knowing that my brain doesn't operate that way. So Allie is one of those people that I love working alongside her and picking her brain, you know, being the person that doesn't really know insights as well as she does and, and just trying to dig in and find that opportunity space. So that's kind of the process we use. There's a lot of inspirational stuff that we try and do as well. Like a lot of the best ideas come from the weirdest places. So whether we're, you know, out eating, we see or think of an opportunity or, you know, one of our interns has a really great idea and we start thinking, oh yeah, why why wouldn't we do that? I would say inspiration comes from everywhere. And then it's just a matter of pairing that with the business case and showing leadership like, hey, this can make us x amount of money or a, obtain like a new demographic and really just proving that case out is is just where the kind of magic and spark happens
0: that's so beautiful to hear and i love the way that you view that and your perspective on it is very inspiring and makes honestly makes everything more fun which is what makes work more fun and life more fun your career more fun of of just being open to opportunities trying new things asking questions failing fast Um, I love it all. And Chelsea, as we wrap up going through your absolutely incredible career journey, what is one last piece of advice you'd like to share with women in marketing?
1: I would say just take everything day at a time. If things get tough, just remember it's, it's for a purpose and you're going to learn so much, even when you think you're not learning, you're learning a lot. So hang in there. And just really be honest with yourself about what you're passionate about. And, you know, go after that thing, you know, especially when you're younger. I think it's the prime time where you don't have any responsibility that you can really try a lot of things, jump a lot of different industries like I did, go through the learning curves. All of it's going to add up to, you know, a really well-rounded experience. So just go, go for it head, head on.
0: That's beautiful. Well, thank you again, Chelsea, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking your time and walking us through your journey today.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. You can also join our private LinkedIn group for women in marketing. It's called Sky Society Women in Marketing and you are welcome to join us on LinkedIn. And you can also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at skysociety.co for more information on all things marketing and career. And I'll see you in the next episode.